0: Welcome to the Silicon Valley Synergy Podcast. This is Bob Stedler, where we talk all things Silicon Valley and development. Joining me this week, we have Janice Betters, real estate reporter for the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Hi. <laughs> and this in this podcast, we're gonna talk about that small development called Google in downtown San Jose. You might've heard of it. It's only eight to 10 million square feet. It's potentially only 20,000 employees, where the rest of the country is chasing Amazon. San Jose and Google have been working together to get to know each other, negotiate terms, and talk about their long-term commitment to each other. Sounds like a marriage? It's acting like a marriage, and we're in our good first steps of courtship. Today we're gonna talk with Janice about the outline of the Google deal and kind of where it's going. So welcome, Janice.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So this Google deal, it's big. In any city, in any metropolitan area, everybody's chasing Amazon. Google came to San Jose. What what do you think of the outline of the deal so far?
1: Well, so what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of ways to look at it. For one, I think that uh, it's taken a long a lot longer than most people thought it would to get to the point that we're at and so w- I think that it's important to note that we've got a community uh, around San Jose that is feeling left out um, and even surprisingly some community members still coming to city council meetings saying I don't even accept for sure that Google will come here um, you know there's still there are still people in the community holding out hope that the city is going to just say no no to Google altogether. That's what I heard at a public hearing at the city council meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, and meanwhile, the city has been in private negotiations um, between Google, the city, and Santa Clara to decide what the fair market value is of a set of parcels that is publicly, they're all publicly owned. And um, the big question has been, you know, what should Google pay? Should it be the amount that is fair market value before everybody knew that Google was interested in San Jose? Or should it be the amount that is considered fair market value now that we know that Google cares about San Jose? Um, so that's that's what we've been talking about. And ultimately, what's happened now is the fair market value has been determined based on the fact that Google is interested in San Jose. And therefore, um, land values are higher.
0: Yeah, Google really did set their own comps comparable mm-hmm. uh, comparable prices here. When, you know, these parcels we're talking about, I managed the purchase of it back in the 2006 time period, we got appraisals and that was not a lot of comparable um, sales that we could use. And so we, you know, I recall when we got the appraisals back for $125 a foot, Mm. the bosses hit the roof and we had a meeting with the appraisers And we went through it and went through every comp and every assumption with all three methods of valuation. And it was just something that they just had sticker shock. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that, you know, if the A stadium didn't happen, that, you know, having property near transit for government agencies is a good idea. And so we just knew that holding on to these properties was a good investment long-term for the city. So it's interesting how... You know, if Google came in and would would have negotiated this before they closed on, you know, 160 million dollars worth of property, then they would probably have an argument for that. Right. But it's kind of a tough thing because, as I've been quoted, I think it's a fair price. It's a Mm -hmm. price where it can close, but it's not a giveaway. And so I think it's one of those negotiations that you know there's going to be a lot of conversations about asks. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a price where there could be some asks that could happen. And that's for us for a company like Google. That's going to be in the land value, right? They're Mm -hmm. going to have the land value plus the asks, which sets the stage for them to develop. So I agree. It's it's been um, it's a tough negotiation for something like this, and it got to manage expectations because we don't want to create villains and heroes Mm -hmm. because it's real estate.
1: Right. And, you know, Google has been praised in other communities. For instance, in Mountain View, I remember watching um, a city council meeting where they were getting a final approval to build their Charleston East campus that's now under construction. And I watched a public hearing that was just basically person after person coming up and telling them all the great things Google has done for them in the community between schools and environmental efforts and I mean you name it everyone was there and so um you're right in terms of painting a villain. I mean Google comes in and raises the the land values wherever they go they just do because they everybody knows that they have a lot of money they're a big company they like to build big campuses that are beautiful and people enjoy being in them um but at the same time, if you look at what they've done in Mountain View, um, I mean, I listened to an hour of community, of, of a public uh, hearing of community members just coming up and saying that they love Google. So um, I think that, you know, hopefully they'll do the same for San Jose, even though, you know, we wouldn't be their hometown.
0: <laughs> right, I, I just think the key is managing expectations. Right. And I think that's the toughest part is whenever you have something this huge you're going to have people using it leverage to hit the city on the head for items they feel like it's been lacking as far as homelessness affordable housing Mm -hmm. when google didn't create those issues they're just showing up and and people are saying at the most moderate they're exacerbating them Mm -hmm. but the key is just having a conversation with the city and and it's you know i think the progress when you look at the steps that the city laid out about where they're going and having an mou and a purchase sale agreement, and they just created the um, the S A A G or the uh,
1: yeah the station area um, advisory group.
0: Right. Yes. And that was an interesting council meeting as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you had you know people with different uh, interests mm-hmm. jockeying to be on. How do you you know technical committee? What was your thoughts about that?
1: You know, I thought that I, that meeting was fascinating. I watched it and, you know, what I saw was a community that came forward and so many people came up and said, I don't feel like my interests are represented in these different ways. And um, you know, some of them might have been fair criticisms. some of them, you know, perhaps less fair. For instance, I know one city council member uh, had mentioned that somebody came up and said, um, you know, I, I don't see anybody who represents a women's group on this advisory group. And um, and the city council member responded, but we do, we will have women and women, you know, so we don't need a group that's specific to women to represent interests that maybe specifically women would have. And that's a fair comment. So So, yeah, but what I saw was just a community that came up and seemed really just, and not necessarily happy with the list that they saw, but then the city council sort of doubled down on what they had Planned and they added a few spots mm-hmm. uh, Which was showed some flexibility, but they really didn't significantly alter their um, What they had originally come to the table with after hearing all of that public comment. I was surprised
0: Yeah, I think when you look at a group that large it gets a little unwieldy kind mm-hmm. of like whenever cities do their general plan updates Mm-hmm you have 30 to 40 people on an update group and, you know, the politics within it and then what, what's the really measurable outcomes you can get is the tough part. Right. So it'll be interesting to see is this panel run by, um, by special interests, people clicking together based upon what they're fighting for versus a cult of personality where one person can really kind of take charge of it by being a force of nature and driving it away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got the mayor's office and the office of economic development and other people such as high-speed rail and BART and they need to make sure this doesn't go off the forgive the pun, the rails <laughs> because they have too much at stake. I mean, this right. is the this is the biggest economic development catalyst since the arena. Right. And so they they can't let this Fall apart,
1: and I think that's fair. I also thought, in terms of the interests, you know, I've heard arguments where people have suggested that some, especially like government entities, should almost be a group of their own that's that shows up to the meetings to simply advise the advisory group, right? And that it should really be mostly community members that are having that discussion as the advisory group, Um, and people who have said, you know, why is Google on here? And I think, you know, it seems obvious why Google is on there. They have an interest in this space. But I did think that it was um, a peace offering, in a way, from Google to say that, you know, they're going to have a spot on the group, but they won't be a voting member. If this group ever happens to take a vote on anything that they don't completely agree on, then Google won't, won't join in the vote. And I thought that that was um, a nice way for Google to say that they're there to listen. So that was something I liked.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And and you know that the city and VTA and BART and high-speed rail and, and Google are all having conversations behind the scenes. Right. Because if you look at the infrastructure that's going to need to go in there, you know, it's five pounds of stuff in a five-pound bag exactly. Mm-hmm. And how that all unfolds is going to be complicated. So they're having conversations because they need to be able to work together, you know. And so they're it's going to be so they're already having those conversations so i think it's more of a a relationship building exercise for them to get to know and google can make presentations about what they've done in other cities and what they're doing and they just need to be there to listen but they i kind of saw they need to be an equal member so they're not people in today's day and age especially with the new tax plan like to cast corporations as villains Mm -hmm. when they do really create jobs and so i think i think I think they'll win them over long term, and I think the city, I think the city is really kind of nervous about how the interaction starts, and mm-hmm. I think the facilitation is going to be key, because mm-hmm. as you've noted in your other stories about some businesses in the area are feeling the pressure of the land prices going up, feeling like they're getting pushed out.
1: Right. Yeah. And so far, I mean, at this moment, we're probably not seeing a lot of that actively happening. But yeah, I'm definitely, when I call around for stories to talk about what's happening with San Jose or what's happening with Google, particularly when I um, wrote the story, I think it was last week, uh, that said that Google bought almost 600,000 square feet of industrial space, which is essentially like high-end manufacturing space over in North San Jose. When I was calling, around to people who know this industry who are you know working on behalf of small to medium-sized clients to find space they expressed concern fear that you know eventually this market wouldn't have um the price or the space for clients like the ones they work for. And traditionally, San Jose has been that market for most people. If you can't afford to be in uh, Palo Alto or Sunnyvale or Mountain View, um, then San Jose has had a lower price point in a downtown with amenities. So um, I think it is kind of scary for folks that traditionally have looked to San Jose as a place that they could go and afford.
0: Yeah, I think this, you know, it's progress. And progress Mm -hmm. causes concern and change and economic realities are starting to shift but you know with a transit station being underutilized and it's you know knock on wood with high-speed rail and bart happening there with google there then you'll see a fully actualized urban environment Mm -hmm. you know with north san jose and south san jose with those core you know Industrial centers, I think you'll see people kind of maybe flock to those areas first. Mm-hmm. But change is hard. And I've in redevelopment when we put City Hall, which used to be on Mission Street, and we moved it to downtown San Jose because we wanted, you know, the city to kind of be downtown to be actualized. The original City Hall was in uh, Cesar Chavez Park, oh. right in the middle. Yeah. And so, and then it went up to Mission Street. So we, Relocated businesses and we relocated people and we of course compensated everybody legally by the law but it was just that whole question of wait you're you know hi, we're the government we're here to help we bought your property from your landlord and we like to relocate you somewhere else right and that was just we had some tough community meetings mm-hmm. and people use the word gentrification and all the other stuff but it's really just progress because we needed to get city hall back downtown to show that downtown mattered. Especially sure. with Santana Row and everything else going on, taking away retail. But I think right. that it's going to be an interesting um, conversation with people on what what's what's the worth of progress, and is it really worth long term to the city's vi- viability for small business people?
1: Yeah, and that's that's probably the biggest concern that I'm hearing from community members when I reach out to them, or I listen to public hearings, or I go to any community meetings. Um, for instance, Silicon Valley Rising has. Had a few community meetings about this. And even if I haven't attended uh, all of them, I have live streamed them because you're able to do that. And so, um, yeah, that's the big thing that I'm hearing from folks. They're really nervous that, you know, they understand that this is a development that's going to take place over a decade or more, or many, many years. But they are still very worried because they're people who have maybe grown up in San Jose or have lived somewhere else and been pushed out to, due to price. And now they're feeling like, gosh, isn't there any place for me? And so that's what I mean by Google has been a good neighbor in Mountain View by many people's accounts. You know, I can't speak for every person in Mountain View, but from what I've heard, it seems like people are generally happy with them there. And so, um, you know, I, I hope that they also work with the community in the same way here in San Jose to help quell those fears and uh, make it so that these community members' worst nightmare and small business owners' worst nightmare doesn't come to fruition. We'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think the unfortunate problem with the housing crisis that's happening in Silicon Valley, you know, if Google was coming here 30 years ago, this wouldn't have been mm-hmm. nearly as catastrophic to people. But this housing crisis and you were bringing 20, 30,000 more people into an area that's already congested and the market mm-hmm. is just just brutal. You know, you look at the pipeline of, you know, towers downtown. Just think of how many more housing units you'd have to start in downtown the next year and a half to even meet half the demand.
1: That's true, because, um, so I update a map called Crane Watch, and uh, that's on our website, but from the last time that I tallied it up, and I do need to do an update, I'm working on that actually today, Um, so hopefully it will be out soon, but the last time I tallied it up, I want to say that in the downtown area, there was something like 6,000 units in the pipeline, and now there may be more, because new proposals seem to happen every day here, Um, but if they really do bring 20,000 employees down here, then they're they're going to want to build that much housing, I would think. Because also, the Department of Housing and Urban Development just recently released a bunch of numbers all about, well, all over California, and they released it by county and by city, the numbers of in terms of, you know, this is this county or this city's housing goal for this reporting period. And this is how close they are to meeting that goal and Silicon Valley is not even close (laughs) so and San Jose in particular you know they have this measure that says if you have developed less than um, a certain amount of your um, low-income housing goal then you need to um, then you need to Build way more in that And and with SB35 coming into play Which is the housing development streamlining goal There are new regulations That say developers If you want to take advantage of SB35 You want to streamline your development To create more housing Then depending on which parts Of of the housing goal uh, Cities are behind on They have to create a certain amount Of affordable housing to qualify In San Jose it's like 50% Of a development, so that was a long way to say that you're right. San Jose is behind on its housing development goals, and even with SB thirty-five, it's going to be hard to get those um, those affordable projects built uh, because they're going to need to offer, you know, really high numbers of affordable housing if they want to use this new streamlining bill that's meant to create more more housing. So we'll see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I think SB thirty-five is. I was talking to someone at the housing authority, you know, yesterday mm-hmm. and they're, you know, cautious like everybody else is about what the true impact of SB 35 is going to be. Um, it, good news. It brings attention to it. Bad news. It brings attention to it, which might bring right. its own NIMBY not in my backyard type, mm-hmm. you know, group saying, I don't want this in my neighborhood because it'll hurt my property values when we just need to build more density, you know, everywhere from Las Gatos to Palo Alto, Mountain View's finally shown up with those large number of units, but they've right. been on the sidelines for so long. That's why when you look at, you know, like you're the Business Journal event you had a while ago on housing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: people were commending Mountain View for the large number of units, but they'd been on the sidelines for nearly decades before. And so you look at Milpitas having this interesting, heated conversation amongst colorful council members there
1: mm-hmm.
0: about housing analysis and where's housing going to go and planning directors being kind of challenged it's it's going to be i think uh sb 35 is just the beginning right and you know like evergreen the evergreen initiative on the east side of san jose Mm -hmm. i think is going to be the bellwether on our citizens going to take items in their own hands on streamlining things even more and it'll be backed by developers
1: through, like, a ballot initiative, right? Sort of like what they did with Valco, which ended up being kind of a bust and then it remained in limbo, <laughs> but, right?
0: But just imagine yeah. you know, if, if developers were, see this as you know a crisis and they say, Well, let's just take SB 35 and, and take the same kind of language and put steroids on it and say, Okay, if you if this property is zoned out for zoned, not general plan housing, right? You can just go by right.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting. I didn't mean to take us off the SB, onto the SB35 train, but I just think that it'll be interesting to see how it interacts with this Google-Diridan area. And I also agree with you that there are questions out there about how effective it will really be. Um, When I spoke with Scott Wiener uh, last week, I asked him about this, and he said, you know, a lot of developers are going to continue to try to use the normal city process, but one thing that it has done is changed attitudes. um, And so developers, have this bill that allows them to streamline some developments that include housing. In their back pocket and cities are now starting to think about these housing development proposals differently and that alone might help even if the bill doesn't get utilized but what I'm hearing from a lot of developers and land use consultants and other and even city officials is that everybody you know was kind of in a panic when it initially got signed last year and now that people have learned more about it they just wonder how much it will actually disrupt development because there are such limited circumstances in which it can be used so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've i advised a couple of people that I think a municipality or a housing authority or somebody at this point should just sue themselves and have it go to the courts, say, do I have the sequel protection that this bill discusses, and have the courts really kind of lay out mm-hmm. where it stands. Because I think if people saw the sequel protections there and couldn't have people greenmail, which is the – a way to yeah. attack a developer to negotiate terms for ta- attacking the CEQA. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, I mean, Google causes this kind of conversation to happen because 20,000 people aren't going to get on Caltrain every day. Right. Because there's not capacity for that, even if, you know, we want more transit usage. It, they, they're going to be walking, biking, on the roads...
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if they can't take Caltrain or they're not going to take Caltrain, they're going to want to probably live a bit closer. That's what we're finding with these young tech employees is that a lot of them really do want to live in walking distance to their home, which is great for traffic, difficult for housing.
0: Yeah. And I think when you look at, you know, the way it spurns development, like the Davidson Towers, which was recently announced, and Mm -hmm. you look at that Architonica design and you see the cool kind of projects that Google I think is kind of, you know, cultivated with, you know, great developers like the Davidson project where you, I think millennials would love to live in a building like that. So I mm-hmm. think you're seeing people being more innovative mm-hmm. as far as the architecture and probably the parking, which is generally a, a concern on the pro forma balance sheet of a developer, but I think you know you see what Google's doing and I think it's hopefully going to cause innovation in real estate.
1: Yeah, it it will be interesting to see what they come up with. I mean, so when they were talking about Mountain View developments, they were talking about buildings with movable walls and things like that. So, and I'm not sure if, you know, that happened to the degree that they had hoped it would in Mountain View, but knowing Google, they'll just continue to try to build on that. In addition, they have a new, and I'm going to get his title wrong, but uh, like, director of construction for the bay area i think that's his title it's it's something like that he's basically the guy overseeing all of the ground up development that google's going to be doing and um so he's new i mean he he came on in like the last six months and so it'll be really interesting to see what they do with that position and all of these all of the places that they're developing not only in san jose but mountain view and Sunnyvale.
0: Yeah, and it just makes you wonder, like the the Dearden, the, it's called Dearden in the Dearden Station area, but the Trammell right. Crow development site that they bought from a while back, yeah. you know, when is that going to break ground? People have been kind of watching. They've had their approvals for a while. Mm-hmm. They still haven't broken ground. We're, you know, in the first quarter of 2018. So, I mean, I think that's another bellwether for when this thing could really speed up and get going, because that's a million square feet right there.
1: That's true, and yeah, I'm not sure when it will break ground. I mean, because we haven't heard specifically from Trammell Crow who's also doing that development and got approvals before any of us knew that Google was potentially going to come down here. we I haven't heard from them and I've reached out a few times but just you know I think they're being choosy about what they say uh but I haven't heard from them whether that is going to be included in their mind into the google project um in some ways, it would make sense because it's right there on the border. It's like, it's basically a part of the Deerden Station area. Even though, if you look at the border of the Deerden Station area in the city's plan, it's technically just outside that line. Right. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they start construction before all this Google stuff happens, or if they're going to wait and you know redesign or just hold off until they know for sure that google's definitely coming to downtown i don't know i'd I'd love to talk to them and find out right (laughs) no
0: i I agree so what do you think is the most interesting part of this story that you're covering i mean you've Mm -hmm. you've been in the bay area for a year now
1: for a year yeah
0: happy (laughs) one year anniversary to the bay area
1: yes thank you it's been quite a whirlwind
0: (laughs) yeah so coming from
1: Minneapolis Minneapolis
0: I mean which has had some interesting things happen in the last month there with the Super Bowl and boy yeah (laughs) so it's just what so you've been here for a year
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you've got you know the Apple spaceship finishing up this Google conversation this has been not a slow time for commercial real estate what do you just as a citizen of the world in (laughs) you know seeing this story what do you think is the most interesting part
1: Oh, boy. There are so many interesting parts. Um, you know, one thing that I think is interesting is, um, so there's an unanswered question that I think is fair um, in terms of the Google downtown San Jose negotiations is, and and this isn't something that was often fought over in the Twin Cities because, well, we didn't have Google. <laughs> so that's why. But, uh, you know, city residents have said repeatedly that they wish that they had been invited to the table during the negotiations over the price of the land because they believe that once google has the land that you know they may not agree to concessions um and so there's been this debate it when is the right time to discuss you know, what a developer or a tech company is going to do for a community. Is it before you decide on the price of the land? Because maybe what they agree to do for the community will affect the price of the land. Or is it um, after we know for sure that there's a project because they've actually been able to get the land. And this is something that I haven't really account encountered when I was in Minneapolis because we just didn't, we didn't have those kinds of tech companies that we're talking about 8 million square feet of development in the middle of a downtown where there's a lot of residences and um, I think that it's interesting so I am interested to see sort of how this plays out and whether people look back and say we did the negotiation right we we didn't talk about what Google was going to do for the community during the land price negotiation and that was the correct way to do it or we should have brought those factors into the com- into the discussion. I I just don't know. I'm interested to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, and I've been involved in a conversation with the community on the Japantown courtyard mm-hmm. development. So we moved the courtyard out and we had over a 100 community meetings and just talking to them. We even had the RFQ process in public. Um, yeah. Dave Cortezi when he was vice mayor said, "Well, I'd like to see this transparent." So we had the interview with the developers in a public setting.
1: Oh, I love that, and, let's do more of and that. And we did that, where we <laughs>
0: had the, and two, we had a five member panel, we had two community members. Uh-huh. And after the interviews, the community went out had their own forum to get mm-hmm. everyone's thoughts on what developer in the Japantown community. And but it was just a long, hard conversation and the developer had some fatigue and it just, right. and then it took so long that the cycle ended. Right. And that was the problem with having such a long, drawn-out process. We pushed through a cycle, and downturn happened, because downturns happen. And But we had, you know, in that situation, we had guiding principles. Hmm. And Councilmember Menez really kind of pushed for guiding principles, and the city staff really didn't want that. When in Japantown, we had the seven guiding principles. And if I was negotiating the DDA and anything went awry of those, I said, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know... Reduce parking, hurt retail, I mean, hurt the character of Japantown. I couldn't allow anything like that to happen because we knew these were the seven things we couldn't touch. Sure. And so that was kind of a nice thing to have as far as negotiation. So I kind of feel like the city should have done that because it really Mm -hmm. gives a touchstone of what you could do politically. And and it helps give you a negotiation with Google saying, I would love to give you this, but the principles, this goes outside of our core values.
1: Right. And yeah,
0: it'll be. It's going to be an interesting conversation because some of this stuff is going to. That's why the expectation setting process for mm-hmm. me is the interesting part, because people are already using heroes and villains when you talk about the homeless sweep that happened in last week. Oh yeah. They called it the Googleville sweep.
1: Oh, sad. But yeah. that's
0: they. I don't. Last I checked, I did not see Google involved in homelessness. Mm-hmm. But they, the advocates, were using them to get publicity and to push. The issue, and it just—it just seems unfair. But the city is going to have to realize they're going to have to, you know, have the awkward conversations. I know Councilmember Perales is completely open to talking to virtually anybody, and he's been just tirelessly talking to people. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be—it's going to be really uncomfortable quick when you have the first couple of meetings. Mm-hmm. and that the whoever facilitates that is a job I wouldn't wish on anybody because you just have <laughs> It'll to be
1: difficult. It's yeah. be difficult
0: to see how that all works
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think that that's fascinating and in terms of when to bring the community in you know there's an interesting question of well if Google had agreed to build X number of affordable homes would Would people have been happy with them reducing the amount that they paid for the public parcels? Um, so it's tough to say whether that you know, bringing the community in or getting the um, the c- developer, Google, to agree to specific, you know um, things would have been palatable either but I'm really interested to see how it all shakes out and after it's all done uh, you know in a decade we'll look back and say what did we learn because um, I guess this is my first time in Silicon Valley seeing a company embark in this way on building a brand new campus Um, I know Google had started to do something like that in Sunnyvale they used CBRE global investors for several years to buy up like most of the Moffat Park area. Um, But I came in at a time when they were just about to stamp their names on that land. And this is all office. And Moffat Park is completely office. There's no homes. So it's definitely a different dynamic. I think it will be a big lesson for people.
0: Yeah, and I I think we – I think they need to embrace Google in, like, the train station. Mm. I think we need to stop talking about the Grand Central Station of the West – and call it the Google Station of the West. I get asked quite often, how big should the train station be? Should it be bigger than the Grand Central Station? I said it needs to be the right size mm-hmm. because the worst thing in the world is an oversized public finance building that can't pay for the debt. Mm-hmm. Right, the San Jose Airport, San Jose International, Mineta. You know, it while there it took a while for it to grow into the large, now it's growing, it's doing well, but it wasn't paying for itself for a while. Yeah. And so I, I would hate for a monstrosity a a museum of train stations that just can't pay for itself. I want it to be innovative, efficient, have technology built in, which is not something California's really done with part stations. I mean you look at some of these bus lines, they're finally putting up boards that say when the bus is gonna get there. Mm -hmm. But I would love to have Google in there and just have it be a fully immersive digital experience. I don't want a, well, if Grand Central Station is X square feet, we're X plus 10 to show that we're bigger. (laughs) I want it to be, we think X amount of people are coming through and they'll have an efficient, healthy, safe environment.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, I definitely want it to be efficient. I take the Caltrain twice a day because <laughs> I come down from Redwood City. So uh, whatever you do, just make it really efficient.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the key thing is, is you know, I've taken the train up to San Francisco to meet with developers. And, you know, the electrification of Caltrain is huge. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but just you want it to be efficient. You want it to be able to walk in and immediately – there are people who do this for retail and other stuff, knowing that where your where your eye goes to look for information. You know, most people, if you're right-handed, you turn right or something. Where just take those keys that you know, like Walmart and everybody else has learned on human behavior, and, mm-hmm. and do that with a train station. Of if people normally walk into something and look to the top right, just put the information there. Just kind of make it intuitive
1: right yeah and i think you know they are i know google is already thinking about this train station and and the development that's set to come and even the city is because they were talking about they released something that said that they think that in you know This will take about 10 years to come to fruition, but sooner than that, maybe Google will start to develop on the outskirts of the Dearden Station area more than the center because they want that construction to be done. So that's what, um, you know, city officials told me is that they anticipate development starting from the outside in in order to let this station, you know, develop as it will. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how it develops and... See how Google deals with the construction. If they just stay out of the way until it's done, or if they, you know, not in a negative way, but, you know, like insert themselves into the process, and if that if it changes at all.
0: Yeah, I think this is the best type of a public private partnership. The city's been having meetings on the Deerden Station area for years, and mm-hmm. developer after developer says you need a master developer, and Google, in a way, is becoming the master developer, even though they didn't volunteer to be it, but. Ba- their purchases are making him that. So it'll be interesting right. to see how the parking and the infrastructure and the water. And I mean, that's I mean, it's a lot of stuff that has to be coordinated. And, you know, high speed rail has their thoughts. And Bart, you know, high speed rail wants to go high and Bart wants to go low. And is it one tunnel or is it two? And right if you just look at the logistical nightmare that the city of San Jose is fighting, it's a good problem to have because nothing is better than nothing happening at all. But you've got, you know, you're negotiating with high-speed rail, you're negotiating with BART, and then Google is, they're Google.
1: Yes. It, it, yeah. They, and they wield a lot of power, a lot of influence. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. My colleague Jody Meacham writes about transportation, and um, we've been sort of sharing this story of, you know... if if it relates to transportation and, and the station, he's been try- kind of taking the lead on that. And I know that he would love to come back and talk more about how that integrates at some point because he's really the expert on how these negotiations are going and, you know, sort of where we stand in terms of high-speed rail and all of that. I I only know secondhand by reading his articles. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time because it's this could become the – urban hub of hubs and that's kind of what I think it should be it shouldn't be you know it's got a lot of ego attached to it because of the name and the location but it's such a busy transit center now Mm -hmm. and we gotta just we gotta make it better and and that's I think should be the ultimate goal
1: oh yeah I think everybody would just you know there's always room to improve so yeah
0: (laughs) but you can look at the buses and then you need to also look ahead of you know, with ride sharing and Uber and mm-hmm. just trying to get people, just looking at, you know, where people are going to be walking to and biking. And and it's just, it's the complete streets program the city's been working on for years as far as having bike lanes. Um, you know, I worked on the Autumn Extension Project where we studied, you know, having Autumn turn into a two-way street and when does that mm-hmm. flip over for the ballpark. Because we were looking at these huge moments of intense traffic and pedestrians. Right. Now we have to relook at that with the new way of people are living.
1: Yeah. And do you think, I mean, is there any of that that can be reused in the Google plan?
0: No, because when you looked at the huge, you know, 10,000 people are going to be crossing this street in 20 minutes and you're thinking, oh my goodness, we're gonna to have to close down streets and we just you couldn't build a sidewalk big enough to handle everybody you'd almost have to close part of the streets right and this situation you know I think work hours are a little bit more flexible so you're not gonna have 20,000 employees all showing up at 745 to walk across streets in the <laughs> office by 8 I think it's gonna be one of those things where you're just gonna to have to look at the pedestrian patterns where do you where does uber drop-off mm-hmm. um, how do people bike where do the bikes get stored? How do people coming off train get into the campus? I think mm-hmm. all of those behavioral things is hard to kind of imagine because if we if we did this campus, let's say fifteen years ago,
1: mm-hmm. in today's
0: environment, we would have not it would have been designed completely different. Right. That's so why, like the Apple Spaceship Wall, beautiful building, milestone mm-hmm. project of the year.
1: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: it just it just it just was not planned in a way.
1: Yeah. yeah today's it, living. In the article that I wrote awarding the Apple spaceship the milestone project of the year, you know, we awarded it because it really is, you know, by all accounts, a beautiful building. I interviewed um, a, you know, really well known and respected uh, Berkeley professor who called it the Versailles of Silicon Valley. And I think that's apt because it costs at least um, $5 billion to build. But when you talk to urban planners, they'll kind of, you know, they kind of, call it a nightmare in terms of there's not transit that goes to it it has I think that it's going to ultimately have like 13,000 employees and 11,000 parking spots so um you know that means that they're planning for a lot of their employees to be driving and that's going to be hard on Cupertino um but at the same time Cupertino gets a lot of tax money from Apple so I don't know (laughs) I don't know how the city really feels about those trade-offs because Apple's sort of their um You know, it makes up a huge part of their pie in terms of tax money.
0: Right. And I think the thing, too, with some some of these smaller cities not exactly wanting these type of corporations there is you're adding a lot of voters Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. this area. Right. So if you have a voting block of 30,000 employees that live in a city or live in an area, it's going to change some of the dynamics of the voting or a municipality where people are used to things voting a certain way
1: interesting do you think that I, I haven't heard that concern with google um but uh have you heard that concern out in the community that people are concerned about you know san jose's political dynamic changing because of all these tech employees moving in potentially
0: not for san jose because it's a million
1: it's pretty large it's yeah a
0: and as any you know former city employee You know, I I just have this knee-jerk reaction, say, 10th largest city in America and capital Silicon Valley. I mean, it's just what all city employees are almost trained to do to constantly remind you. But if you look at the 10,000 homes up in Mountain View of a city that size, and you look at how many new residents are going into a city the size of Mountain View, Mm -hmm. I think that one has maybe a little bit more concern. So I think it's more about San Jose. I don't think it kind of matters because of the council district, because I think this is District 3. So the more urban it's got to play the higher growth pattern than the rest of the city of San Jose sure so it's only one council district but let's say other cities that don't have these council districts whereas Santa Clara it's at large right I know there's lawsuits about changing all of that for representation right. reasons mm-hmm. but here I mean like for example We'll have a follow-up conversation about Keeley and Santa Clara.
1: Oh, I want to have that conversation. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> where it's a, I,
0: I believe it's a fork in the road, and they need to figure out, you know, 50-story tower and that where I think in a city like that with that number of people there, yeah, it's going to change that small, sleepy town conversation where San Jose is already a metropolis. This is next to transit. I don't think it'll change that, but that's why, I mean, you look in Los Gatos.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Netflix wasn't allowed to go over how many stories.
1: Yeah, it's oh gosh, I mean, it's Netflix. Gonna, but I yeah. mean, it's just
0: it's. I mean, it's one of the leading companies in the world.
1: Right. There's, yeah. I,
0: I think, if you if you went to people all across the globe, mm-hmm. and if you said they didn't speak English, but you said Netflix, they'd probably shake their head. Yeah, that's because very they true. probably think about that, and it's just that's yeah. kind of what I think is happening here. But I think San Jose is ready for it it's where chance meets opportunity so it's not lucky that's coming here but Dearden train station I think is going to be the economic catalyst for San Jose's economic future.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we've written cover stories um, that would say that exact same thing, that really it's it's all of the transit investment that's expected to come into downtown San Jose. Um, I think that we've quoted about $8 billion at least that's expected to come in, assuming that everything that people are dreaming of actually happens. That would be a huge investment. And, um, yeah, I think that that's definitely been a catalyst for its growth, for its attractiveness to other companies. And, um, you know, for pe- people to want to come live here, it makes it easy to get around. That's what we're hearing across the board. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see the next steps. and. Um, As always, we will be checking the Business Journal to see what you're writing about that.
1: Yes, do. And uh, you know if you are a potential source and I call you, please call me back so that I could write all those articles.
0: (laughs) So if our listeners can, where can they follow you on social media and uh, the Business Journal?
1: Yeah, so I have two Twitter accounts, actually. One is a personal account and one is a work account. So if you follow me on my personal Twitter, you'll probably know right away because you'll just get a lot of um, tweets about cats. But (laughs) if you follow me on my work uh, twitter that's the handle is at sv so that's like silicon valley biz with a z c r e um that's where i tweet out my stories or if it's been a really busy week sometimes i'll just do a roundup like hey in case you missed it here's the six stories i wrote this week and what they mean so um hopefully it's a value add
0: Well, I would recommend following both because sometimes after a long week, your other Twitter (laughs) account is a good thing to check on. But
1: yeah, lots of cuddling cats. And if you're into that, I welcome you to come follow me on my personal account. That's just my first and last name, Janice Bitters.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for coming. And again, we will follow up with you in the future. And uh, thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Synergy podcast. Yeah,
1: Thanks for having me.